0: Welcome to all of you for the continuation of our wonderful classes about the illusory energy of Maya. And uh, we have more in store for you today. And today is exciting, because today we have a new internet service, which we're testing out, which I tested yesterday, and it terribly failed. But it did work to upload videos. And also today, it's also your lucky day, we have a new keyboard, which we get to test out. Although it's not connected properly to my mixer, but we'll do a little kirtan. I have my voice back, which is it's nice to have. So we're going to see how this internet works. Um, faster internet, I have a higher resolution camera, and it also, this is my right hand, it's not backwards, so that higher resolution camera was not working well with the former internet, so we got a newer internet that just was available a few days ago, and uh, so let's see what happens. It failed yesterday in class for some reason. Okay, so, um, I had... Uh, sold all my other keyboards, and um, I had a mission to get a new keyboard, which was to produce music very quickly and efficiently. And um, So I just, it's been sitting around the office, and I haven't had time, and I just opened it up. The box last night. So here we are. I don't know how you can hear it, because I don't have it connected to the mixer. But I'm sure you can hear something. So, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai.
1: Kunjabi hari, Radhamat Kunjabi hari, Kupi janabala kiri vardhari, Kupi Jishoranandana Braja Janaranjana Jishoranandana Braja Janaranjana Jamunatira Banachari Jamunatira Banachari Krishna Krishna
0: We brought it up to a new level, Hare Krishna. And you will, um, with the facility of this keyboard, I will be able to create songs very quickly that might even sound like major productions. But uh, I won't get any Grammys for them. But uh, songs of kirtan and other bhajans. And also, as you know, I like to do songs in English, songs which will. Yes, songs which will um, hopefully make us more Krishna conscious and may even get inspired in the middle of class to sing a song like we used to do before. So here we are, everyone. I was um, engaged yesterday in a discussion, which was a little... Slightly awkward, uh, maybe a little bit taboo, uh, but nevertheless necessary to discuss. And it was an aspect of the center point of Maya. And we haven't really discussed this, and the topic also came up this morning in... um, something I was reading and commenting on, and I thought, uh, there's no question of talking about Maya without talking about the central point of Maya and how we deal with that. So that is the issue of sexuality because it's one of the most important issues because it's the most important to transcend and it is also the easiest to capture us. So that's what we're, we're going to go with that today. We'll see how far we get and see, see where it goes. But I think it's extremely important. And I want to begin with a statement that this is a difficult topic. And the reason it's difficult is because it, 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 it's such a paradox for us in that it's something which is so important to control. But the physical need and the physical desire is so strong. So it, it's one of the, the strongest paradoxes that we face. it it, it empowers us when we control ourselves. But the need the sexual need, the sexual desire is is rooted fundamentally in the false ego identification with the body. And so the, the psychological, emotional, and physical need is intense. So we're caught in this paradox, and we need to understand how to deal with it in a way that's real, and at the same time, in a way that allows us to purify, our, purify ourselves and transcend it. And if we don't understand how to deal with it Will either artificially renounce it and later get entrapped by it, or become entrapped by it right off the bat, or um, commit to a higher standard presently than we're able to follow, being um, maybe unrealistic, or maybe un- not in touch with where we're, what we need, and so forth. So. Uh, one devotee was discussing with me a problem, and I think his problem is universal, or it's it's fairly pervasive. And it's a problem that disturbs him because nobody talks about it, and and it's 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 almost like you can't really talk about it because there's only one answer. But the problem is the one answer that there only is doesn't always work for everybody. And that's why it makes it problematic to talk about it because in talking about it, you start getting on the borders of being heretical or opposite because our philosophy is that the senses should be controlled, all of them, as far as possible, and only engaged in Krishna's service and not in sense gratification. So that also applies, of course, to all the senses, including the sexual desire. And so our standard is that sex is allowed only when one is married, officially married, and only for the purpose of having children, which is historically not so revolutionary But now it seems revolutionary. And why do I say historically it's not revolutionary? Well, if you look at the history of marriage, it was not a big romantic institution. It was more of an institution for stability, for maintaining your life, or maintaining a community, or maintaining a kingdom, and it has transformed into something much different. And it has transformed into a very sensual affair in which uh, people are trying to satisfy their sensual needs, their, their emotional needs, their sexual needs, their intellectual needs. They're like every, every need in the book, is, you're supposed to satisfy it through a relationship with the opposite sex or a sexual relationship, <clears throat> sexual union. And so what's happening now, it's very common now in the world, is that a couple gets married, and after some time, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, one of the partners tells the couple, um, I don't love you anymore. And it was you know, a wonderful 20 years, and I'm ready to move on into um, another relationship or another aspect of my life. Of course, uh, the partner on the receiving end is totally devastated and just uh, feels like they've been used as an object of love or a sensual object. But why it's like that is because people are entering a relationship based on fulfilling physical, emotional, mental, intellectual, like every possible need, you, you're going to be my God. And at a certain point, hormonally, the stimulus is not there. A, a lot of we, what we call love, which is, it, it's an it's amazing discussion, and you can read about it if you want, but a lot of what is translated as love is a hormonal chemical reaction. It's not actually what we could, would consider dedicated service. That, that When we talk about love, we talk about responsible, dedicated service to a partner. That's, a, you could say, a Krishna conscious definition of love and marriage, or one of the definitions. But what it's come to be now is very much, as you know, based on a physical attraction, And that is hormonally connected. And so when we see that person, touch, smell that person, talk, hear their voice and so forth, it stimulates a certain hormonal response which intoxicates us with this feeling we call love. But the problem is later in life, that's not going to remain because as you get older, the, the, the physical stimulus and, and all those stimuluses, they alter. They, they can grow deeper in other ways. But, but physically, the stimulus is strongest when you're youngest. And so this is quite common. So what we're seeing now in the world today is that most people will be married two or three times. They'll just go to this point and say, I don't love you anymore. Um, I married you. To stimulate my senses, to stimulate my life. I'm not being stimulated, and the neighbor's wife is stimulating me a lot more, or the girl at the office, or the girl I met at the pub, or whatever. Um, there's a, you know, we say the fire, or the spark. The spark is coming from another person. And what is that spark? Again, it's chemicals hormones being translated into a feeling we call love. And that's why Prabhupada said there's no love, because that's not love. We, we can say there's love between husband and wife when there's dedication, when there's compassion, when there's duty, and so forth. But we can't really say love exists if there's a sexual stimulus. That, that's not love. That's just mutual gratification. So, and Prabhupada says this, and the Bhagavatam says this, that people will marry um, because of physical, physical and sexual attraction. And that's the only reason they'll marry. So, we're seeing that it's, you know, Kali is kicking in. We're seeing it. It's, it's Kali Yuga's doing quite well, especially in the last five, 10, 15 years. It's really, you know, upgraded itself to five star status. And it'll keep upgrading, you know. Kali Yuga on 5G, it's going to keep going. Right? So this is one symptom of Kali Yuga on 5G, uh, The relationships are based on sexual desires, satisfying one another. Now the irony of it is that a Krishna conscious marriage why Why do we get married? Uh, for a woman it, the, the needs and desires are different than for a man and Prabhupada says generally all women should be married. Um, It's the best position for them. And men can get married if they feel it's good for them, and they don't need to if they don't want to. It's not absolutely necessary. They they can function more independently than women. Women are a little more, of course, nowadays women are different, but just as a general principle, um, I still see that most women... Uh, prefer to be married. So do most men. But there are, of course, many men that want to remain single, or at least think about it for part of their life. That's okay. But Prabhupada said, the women should be married. That would be the best thing. And so the purpose of a Krishna conscious marriage is not sex, and it's not sense gratification, and it's not the fulfillment of every damn desire you throw on your partner to fulfill. That is a huge illusion. Excuse my French. Or it was English, actually. This is dandelion tea. Have any of you ever had dandelion tea? Dandelion's a flower, but when you make a tea, it has a bit of a flavor of coffee. Interesting. So I see one of the problems in sexual control is just the conception of marriage. Because whatever someone was was unable to control control themselves sexually, which is most of us, young most of us young ones, Prabhupada would say, well, then get married. Marriage was the solution. But the problem that many people found, especially men, is that not necessarily the solution, it often became the, what's the word? Your nemesis. By getting married, you became more disturbed. But understandably, now this young man is alone in an apartment with a beautiful young woman. But still, the point is, when you enter a relationship with the purpose of advancing in Christian consciousness, with the purpose of controlling, purifying, transcending that desire, it's a lot different than when you enter the relationship with the idea that I'm going to fulfill that desire. Now you may say, but... Didn't Prabhupada say you get married because you can't control your sex desire, or that's one of the reasons you marry, and by fulfilling it, you purify it or overcome it, and that's true. But the use of the word fulfilling it is Prabhupada's using it, and the common usage is different. And Prabhupada's saying you fulfill it through uh, having sex for procreation, regulated sex, and your basic life is sadhana. You didn't get married to fulfill your, to, to enjoy. No, you, you could say you did to fulfill that desire but I would say to pure better use the word purify, and you didn't get married to enjoy sex. That that is the first problem. We don't get married to enjoy sex. We actually get married to purify ourselves of the desire to enjoy sex. So that's the first illusion. No, I need to get married because I need to enjoy sex. No. You need to get married because you need to purify your desire to enjoy sex. In the process of purifying that desire, it is required to engage in the act of sex. Otherwise, how are you purified? Otherwise, you wouldn't need to be married. So you purif- you get it out of your system, so to speak. But then we have a problem. Having sex only for procreation, which could be two times in your life, doesn't seem to get it out of the system. And that's a problem. And that's what we need to talk about. And Okay, so... Once we enter a marriage with the right consciousness, what it's for, it's for spiritual advancement, then everything's going to be easier. And stage two, what is the goal? Well, there are many goals in Krishna consciousness, but in the process of becoming Krishna conscious, one of the goals is to control yourself. The way I'm... I can't sit over here because the keyboard's in the way, but then you don't see proper. Okay, let's see if I can pull this off. So you can see Prabhupada's picture. So mar- marriage if we, if we establish a first, whatever you're trying to do anything you have to establish the standard and you, you can't, you don't want to change the standard you don't want to make it up so we don't want to say, well, yeah, but, you know. Prabhupada said this, yeah, well, but. Yeah, that's, I have to write that down. A new mantra. You know, um, I made 13 videos yesterday. Aren't you proud of me? And as you remember, I, as you remember, I would often in class say, that's a good point. I'm gonna write that down. And I have papers and papers of things I wrote down. And can you imagine? I'm writing them down for weeks. And can you imagine when I pick up the paper and read what I wrote down, I sit there and think, yeah, well, but. What does that mean? This is like I wrote it down three weeks ago. I have no idea about 25 percent of what I wrote down I have no idea what it means um, um, so I, I have to <laughs> explain it to myself right um, and then I had a, a, a practical plan that I actually after the class is over if I have a realization an idea that I want to put on a video I should just go in because it's in my fresh in my mind I was having a hard time yesterday remembering all the little things I wrote down why so but so I think you you some of you have may have been through this experience of yeah well but uh, and it also comes with the statement Prabhu, you have to be real which I don't want to undermine that statement because it's true. But sometimes that statement backfires. We have to be real, but at the same time, we have to start from the principle of what is the standard? You you can't you can't compromise the standard. You can you can say, I can't follow that standard now, but you can't change the standard. So that's where it starts. So what is the goal of Grihasta life? To enjoy sex? No to to you know, have so much sex that you get sick of it? No. The goal of Grihastha life is to become Krishna conscious. And one of the regulative principles is no illicit sex. So that's one of the goals of Grihastha life. We have to start there. That that's, that's where I want to get to. Because if I don't get there, how will I ever get out of the material world? That's our whole philosophy. The sexual desire is the cause of entanglement right? But it's a natural desire. I have, to, I have to deal with it. I can't run away from it. So you have to deal with the paradox, but you have to start with a standard. Okay, the standard is that I want to be perfectly pure. So then the next question is, what's the quickest way to get there? And the answer is going to be different for different people. It's not one answer for everybody. What's the quickest way? Well, for the brahmachari, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. For the grihasta, it's going to take longer. It's a more zigzag path. So if you can take the straight line and you can do it and you can achieve your de- get to your destination, fine. Why zigzag? You don't need to. But if you're going to take the straight line and fall on your face and you can zigzag your way to the goal, then that's what you do. But the goal is still the same. The goal doesn't change. So that's, that has to be understood. Now, the next question is, how do I get to the goal? And here's where it gets tricky. And the reason it gets tricky is because we, we haven't been given many options to get to the goal. Basically, we've been given two. Either remain single and celibate or get married and have sex only for procreation, which might mean you have sex once or twice or three times or four times in your marriage And you work the next 25 years to pay for your sex because now you have four kids and it's not cheap. Okay, sorry to be blunt, but it's, it's true. You know, sex is expensive. Which is why prostitution is so popular because you can do it without the kids and the expenses. But isn't prostitution expensive? Not as expensive as getting married. So, you know, Okay, we're being funny here, but it's true. Raising a family is expensive. It's a lot of work. I don't mean to minimize it. And part of the process of becoming purified is that you raise children. So now we have the problem where the devotee says, yeah, well, but. Yeah, I know. That's what we should do. But I wasn't raised that way. I was doing A, B, and C when I was young, and now trying to be perfectly 50-rounder only, it doesn't work for me. So, um, or it's difficult, or, or I want it to work for me, but I'm, hap- I'm challenged, or I won't even try because I know I can't do it. So you get something in that range, or um, not yet, I'm not ready yet, I, I'm, I'm working on it, I hope to be ready. How do you deal with it? Well, one of the, the simple solutions, and, and this should be obvious, but a lot of times it's not because we can't see our future that well. Um, one, one of the big problems is initiation, because even though you should follow the four principles, if you don't, or sometimes you slip and you're not initiated, then you haven't committed to your spiritual master and you haven't committed totally to yourself so you're still being somewhat of an upright individual because you're not breaking a vow or maybe you know you're breaking a little you you're you're breaking it to yourself because you want to do it but it's a big thing to vow to someone else especially spiritual master especially the deities and then naturally there's gonna be guilt when you break that. And so uh, the, the easy and simple answer for this dilemma, yeah, but, 50 rounds, but, but, yeah, but, well, all right, well then just don't get initiated until you know you can follow. Mm-hmm. Then you don't have to even go there in your head. You just go, okay, I'm, you know, I was raised this way and that way and it's so hard and I don't know if in marriage I can maintain it perfectly, etc., etc. fine then think about whether or not you want to get initiated, because you'll have to deal with the reality that ultimately you made a vow for 50 rounds. Okay, broader definitions are there, but strictly speaking, you did make a vow to only do it for procreation. And if you don't, you have to live with that reality. So do you want to live with that reality? You might say, well, that connection with my guru is so powerful, I need it to help me, and I'm almost there, and I'm trying. That that is something you will have to work out in your head. But I'm just going to go down. This is not moving naturally, so I can't see if you have any questions. Um. um, Yeah. Okay. Now we're going. Yeah. So there are there is a question. All right. But um. So. Now, this is, this is where it becomes difficult for many devotees. I know the value of celibacy. I've practiced it. A lot of people who are dealing with this issues are people who lived in temples who practiced it for years. I know. But right now, I just don't see myself doing it, and I don't see myself being a 50-rounder. I actually feel a need for intimacy, sexual intimacy what do I do now? Well, Prabhu, there's plenty of bridges you could jump off. No, I'm only kidding. Although you might feel like that. But but this is a reality. So, how are we going to deal with that? And as you know, and as I've said, nobody talks about it. It's just like, okay, Prabhu, here's your beads. Be a 50-rounder and... Um, Let's have some pakoras. And that's about it. And there's a few classes and some shlokas in Bhagavatam about the entanglement of the material world and how the physical body its not really that beautiful. It's just blood it and mucus and air and bile and like that. And it gets old. And the kids cost a lot. And, you know, that, that should be enough, right? <laughs> just, you hear that and you should be fine now. You know, just be completely sexually controlled the rest of your life. Well, uh, not exactly. I wish it were that easy. So what do you do? Number one is, if you're trying to sort this out, it needs to be discussed with mature devotees who can guide you to understand how you're going to move forward in, in the best way, and help you understand any misconceptions you may have about sex and Krishna consciousness and grihastha life. And then devise a plan which is individual. So, the point is, we're all not perfect, we're all not Brahmins. And uh, one of the problems we've faced in ISKCON is, like, we're trying to create a homogeneous culture, where everybody's a Brahmin and everyone's the same. And then devotees, you know, they like the idea of being sattvic and brahminical, but it's not always easy for everyone to do that. So the individual devotee has to consider, according to their nature, what they can do and what they can't do. Again, keeping in mind, the goal is always the same for all of us. But how much I can do now, how much I will be able to do later, when I'll be able to do it, what are my needs, what are the needs of my spouse. I have to know my own needs because I don't want to marry someone who doesn't have those needs or, or who has needs that I can't fulfill or don't want to fulfill. And then in discussion with senior devotees, you determine what will be best for me in my specific situation to become sexually pure. And so sometimes it is said, you may have to take one step back to take two steps forward. So sometimes it may look like you're going back in order to recoup and get your strength to go forward. That does happen. Well, that's what thats what um, brahmachari life, and then you get married and some people think, oh, he just stepped down, he went back. But he's just recouping so he can go forward. He's going in a new direction. Not necessarily back, but there's that saying, one step back, two steps forward. So sometimes there's a compromise that has to be made in order to fulfill a need which cannot be fulfilled by advancement in Krishna consciousness, but it has to be fulfilled by engaging that need. So that's, that's the point where we need guidance and discussion. As I said, it's not normally spoken about. And everyone's need and everyone's plan is not going to be the same but the goal is the same so you're you're discussing you're discussing with uh, someone you respect okay this is my situation this is my need this is what i'm able to do at this point this is what i cannot do how do i process that in a way that i can fulfill my need for relationship my sexual need at the same time remain uh, renounced advanced uh, and progressing towards the goal so I don't get sidetracked. That is the question you have to ask. And when that answer is is understood, then you practice that. And as I said, it's gonna be different for different people. And some of what you practice may be substandard because that's the reality of where you're at. And if that's the reality of where you're at, that's the reality of where you're at. But the, the principle is you take the best solution and you try your best, and you do what is best in the present situation to make advancement. So, you you have this this situation, which is I think uh, we can equate it to eating, especially eating sweets. Many of us, when we finish our meal, if we don't eat a sweet, we'll go kill somebody, or crash our drive our car up. Into a wall or something, we'll go crazy or get angry or don't want to talk to people. Um, whether it's a psychological need, a physiological need to have a sweet, it's an addiction, whatever, that's another discussion. But you know what I'm saying, right? So I say, okay, Prabhu, I have, or Mataji, I have a sweet, it's an amazing sweet. One of the best sweets you've ever taken, and so you eat the sweet, and you and you you say it's true. That sweet is amazing. I can't believe it. You are amazing. That sweet is amazing. So <laughs> we got we got air conditioning in here. Remember now the heat's on. <laughs> it's fall and <laughs> it got cold last night. It, it does heating and cooling, so we're good. So um, you're. You're, you're, you're eating the sweet, and I say, are you satisfied? And you say, wow, that sweet is amazing. Uh, and with normally, you just eat one sweet after you eat lunch, and you're satisfied. And then you say, can I have another sweet? So what just happened? Now you're going over the point where you're satisfied and you're eating a sweet you don't need. It's no longer helpful. So that first sweet was good because it fulfilled the need to have a sweet. But the problem was, it was so good, it inspired you to eat the second sweet, which is what you don't need, which is not healthy, which is gonna put you to sleep, and it symbolizes excessive, uh, unnecessary, sense gratification, which is not helpful. So sense gratification, up to a certain point, is helpful. Beyond a certain point, it's not. Just as eating a certain amount, if you don't eat enough, you remain hungry. If you don't get your sweet, you go kill somebody. But if you eat too much, too many sweets, it's not healthy. You become foggy in your brain. You become tired. So that's the idea. So what... What a sincere devotee is trying to do is actually, he's not really trying to satisfy his senses. He's trying to to become Krishna conscious and he's trying to figure out how to be Krishna conscious. And part of the way he has to figure out how to be Krishna conscious is to figure out how to satisfy satisfy his senses, not because he wants to satisfy his senses, because if he doesn't satisfy them, they will take him away from Krishna, which is is a different way a different motive, a different reason to satisfy the senses. It's not just, I need this, I want this. It's more like, I recognize I need it, and I wish I didn't, but because I do, I have to satisfy it so that I can be peaceful and engage in my service. Not that I have to satisfy it to satisfy me for the sake of satisfying me, but to satisfy that desire that's driving me crazy to have a sweet, and once I eat it, then I'm fine. So it's a different approach, and so that's how we approach it. And so even if we're engaged in, quote-unquote, sense gratification, we're only engaging in it in order to eventually satisfy that need so we don't need it anymore, not just to do it for the sake of gratification. So if in understanding your particular needs, whether they're sexual or other needs that is uh, all these things we've discussed about is the paradigm is the base by which you make judgment, then you'll be in a healthy position and then gradually you you will be able to employ those desires and conditioning in a way that helps you gradually become purified and eventually renounced to the point where you don't need it. Now, we recognize we, we are products of Kali Yuga, and Kali Yuga is um, sex-crazed, basically. It, it is, you know, in the last 50, 60 years, it's just become insane. There was, um, <clears throat> when I was very, very young, there was this sense of chastity and sexual sobriety and modesty that was thrown out the window, in the name of enjoyment, but the problem is now it's like it's like an addiction. So, so people are now becoming devotees who've been sexualized, you know, growing up. And um, whether we like it or not, it's a reality we have to deal with. It, it's sometimes embarrassing uh, how how we are, how we've been conditioned. But it's a reality. And so we, if you deal with it in a real way, face it, understand how to purify it, you'll be successful. Now, <clears throat> the last thing I will say, and I want to take some questions, is uh, we have many, many grihastas. Grihastas. not Ridha Nanamarsha said it's not grihasta, it's grihasta. It's a short r i gra like rishi. It's not it's not the rishis. It's the rishis, and it's not the grihastas. It's the grahastas. There's an r with a dot under it in in the transliteration. It is a short i r r r r, r-, 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 r- not ri r-, r. That's your Sanskrit lesson for today, students. Don't say you didn't learn anything today. So, um, we have many amazing grihastas who are pure devotees, who are perfectly following the regative principles. Many of whom, well, I want to say many of whom, some of whom perfectly did it from the very beginning. Many of whom had some trouble, slipped and fell, got up again, brushed themselves off. But, over time, we're able to do it. So some people have an easier time, as some people have not such an easy time, and some people have a difficult time. But the point is, if you continue in the process with the understanding the goal and knowing how to apply yourself to get there, then eventually you'll be successful. That's the point. Now, I want to do a little discussion of of physiology, or biology, because I think it'll, it'll help us understand this. the The age for procreation it's it's at least according to Vedic times. Proper generally said the woman should get married um, as a teenager and the man um, like twenty five and the man should be eight or ten years older than the woman. So that's that's. It's neither here or there necessarily as any kind of absolute, but just for the sake of discussion, not that we're going to tell women when you're 13, get married or 16. But for the sake of discussion, Prabhupada saying the early years in your life, that's the childbearing years, and at a certain point, the woman can't bear children anymore. If you notice, which you all have, The body's quite beautiful when it's young. And I'm sure sometimes you've gone to your friend's house and they've had pictures of their mother and father when they got married. And you know their mother and father like 20 years later, like when they're 50 years old. And you look at these pictures and you think, oh my God, your mother was so beautiful, which is not a compliment. It's actually, don't say it because... The connotation is, she's not beautiful anymore. Or, you know, if you're a little older, like my age, you've seen movie stars and rock stars and so forth grow old and ugly, some of them, unless they had plastic surgery. It's just, it's, it's the nature of the body. I mean, devotees are a little different because they don't smoke, drink, and so forth, and they think better, and... I think devotees tend to be more beautiful. But still, you know what I'm saying, that when the body's young, it's very beautiful, it's very attractive. But it gets to a certain age, it's not so attractive. Hormonally, things change. And it corresponds with those childbearing years. If you notice the body of a woman, it, you know you know she's hollywood and makes you know 15 million dollars on a movie she can afford to, to look like she's 35 when she's 75 she can pull that off somehow or other but uh, and some people have good genes but most people when they get 40 50 the, that youthful beauty it's not there anymore when they get 60 uh, not everyone's as beautiful as I am as you know and i'm 70 um um, my mother also like that. She she looked much younger than she was. So as devotees, we have some shakti, maybe, but not not everyone's so fortunate that they stay youthful and beautiful. But definitely, when they're younger, most people, you know, that's whether you're beautiful or not. That's the time you're most beautiful and you're most sexually appealing. But when you get older. It's just an unfortunate reality. It's like, you know, "Ah, when I was young, I was so attractive, now look at me. It's like, it's depressing, right? But it's a reality. But one could ask, why does Krishna do that? Why why does the body deteriorate in a way that certain hormones and so forth um, start to diminish or increase so that your skin sags, you get wrinkles, you, you know, Things don't look good anymore. You get flat tire, as the Prabhupada said. Flat tire. You get a flat tire here. Your skin sags, and so forth. You become overweight, and so forth. Well, when you're no longer in your years of procreation, you don't need a stimulus, a sexual stimulus. So the body just naturally... It kind of, you know, it's not so sexually appealing. Sorry to say, ladies, but, you know, it's a fact. You know it. We all know it. It's a sad truth. Um, Although there are many sexually appealing people, they try to do that. But in traditional societies, people don't try to make themselves sexy when they're 50, 60, 70, like we do in our society. And, you know, the 70-year-old woman dresses like she's 25 and shows her stuff. Um, That is a modern phenomena because we're so sexually, uh, such a sexually crazed society. So I will get to your questions. I just had to make this point. So the body not only naturally is not so sexually appealing when it gets older, but the sexual desire, physiologically, it decreases. And one devotee doctor said, after women have children, it decreases. And the girls are saying, it doesn't seem like it decreases for the men. That's another story, but it it decreases relatively. And still, you know, because we live in a sexually crazed society, there's all this stimulus. But naturally, the body, the intensity of the desire, it decreases. Otherwise, why would you have Viagra and other sexual stimulants? Because the body's not producing it. It doesn't need to. They're older, it's not, you know, they're 50, 60 years old, their wife's 50. They're not having kids, they don't need it. So nature, by nature's course, the sexual desire, it decreases. The physical attraction decreases because the body gets older. So if you stay in Krishna consciousness and you think, I could never overcome this desire, nature, it'll overcome it for you, even if you chant bad japa. (laughs) Just don't fight nature, you do know, and have 10, you know, plastic surgeries that, you know, so you can, you know, so when you're 70, you can catch the 25-year-old girls, you know. As long as you don't do that, you'll be okay. So if you let nature, t- nature take its course, it will do that. And, you know, now we have this, you know, phenomena, 50, 60, 70-year-old guys are looking for girls 20, 30 years younger than them. Whereas... If you tell the seven-year-old guy, "Well, just you know, marry a girl your age," he'll look at all of them and say, "Why would I want to marry them?" That's the whole point. So you can renounce. So you can be controlled. That's yeah. Hold on, I want to close up that, that window. You, you may have you may have heard me joke about Viagra, you know, because Viagra is a drug. <clears throat> which helps stimulate sexual desire, especially for people who, for whatever reason, drinking, smoking, unhealthy, lifestyle, excessive sex, have lost their sexual desire. So Viagra came out, I don't know when it came out, and I don't know in your country what they call it, but I first became aware of it when I was um, doing a show, and there was a band on stage, and there was a song called uh, La Bumba. And they went something like, and they made a joke out of it and they changed La Bamba to Viagra. So it was like, what is this Viagra? What are they talking about? And then I came to understand it and I thought, I was thinking, my dear sir, you are so fortunate you've lost your sex desire. You are insane that you want to get it back. You know, uh, this is like the desire of every brahmachari. You've, you've reached the goal. Like this is what every brahmachari wants. Like I have no sexual desire. It's finished. I'm over. I'm, you know, 60, 70. It's gone. I don't have to worry about it. Now I can be peaceful. Now I can think of Krishna. And you're trying to stimulate it. You are absolutely crazy. So that's where society is going. It's, it's diehard sexual stimulation. And so, but if you let nature take its own course, you live a pure life, have a pure mind, naturally, the physical body is not attractive. As long as you don't try to marry someone 30 years younger than you, you know, if there is any attraction for a relationship when you're 60, 70, and you marry someone that age, probably good chance it's relational, not sexual. If you, if you have to do that and remarry. But you understand my point. So, nature will, if, if you allow nature to take its course and you allow your Krishna conscious progress to take its course simultaneously, you'll get to that point where you're, you're older and you'll look back and go, yeah, when I was young, that was such a strong desire. I was so stupid and passionate. But I I dealt with it properly. I got married, we had children, um, and I dealt with it. The, the last thing I want to say, which was in addition to the last thing I wanted to say, which you know that I'm authorized to say many last things because the spiritual realm is unlimited so you can go on last, basically eternally. But a couple years ago, I gave a talk in Lithuania about Gryhasht life, which, if you haven't heard it, is quite quite useful. I And I will summarize one of the points I made. Is that, you know, this, this whole idea of contraception. We can have sex without paying a price for it. But from from the perspective of, of the Vedas and the perspective that Prabhupada wants us to engage our sexual propensity, he wants us to have children because having children, you know, of course, will bring in and raise so many Krishna conscious children, but for us also, it's purifying because then sex comes with a price. And that's purifying when it comes with a price. Whereas if you get sex free, how do you get purified? So I just meet a girl. Girl meet girl meets me. No, don't use me. That's a bad boy meets girl. Girl beats boy. I'm like yeah, let's have sex. Let's enjoy. Sure, why not? And then you know they never see one another, or they see one another next week. There's no responsibility, contraception, no question of being married, and so forth. <clears throat> how will they get purified of their sexual desire if they don't take responsibility for it? Whereas if you say, I will only have sex when we're married. We will only have sex to have children. Or even if I can't maintain the only 50, I don't use contraception. So if we have children, of course, no abortion. um, We will pay the price for having sex by having children. And um, I had a friend, he had four or five. He couldn't control himself. Um, I think most were accidents and he said i can't afford to have any more so i have to be celibate so that sounds funny but he was dead serious so so when you raise a family and you raise children it's very hard work it's 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 very rewarding but it, it, but it's difficult and it's purifying and that's one of the ways we become purified because then we put sex in connection with what it actually creates and that's the legal way to do it. Whereas when you do it illegally, then how are you going to become free from it? Because you're not really paying for it. You just you just do it, and you don't pay for it, and you don't know, become purified. You become spoiled. You know the rich kid, spoiled, rich spoiled kid. That's that's the that's what I wanted to say, and that's what I did say. I think I said it. And that's what that lecture in Lithuania was an elaboration on how uh, Grihasta life if done properly, will help. That uh, One of the ways that it helps purify us sexually is because we do sex responsibly. Responsibly. And if we do it irresponsibly, just to enjoy it, then you're at this razor's edge where eating that one sweet could stimulate the second sweet, which could stimulate the third sweet. And pretty soon, you're a mess. You're sick. You're eating too many sweets. Okay. That's what I wanted to say today. I've said it in 40 minutes. And now... um, Okay, we're going to go take your comments. I have a strange feeling we're going to go over time. Oh, my God. Wouldn't you know it, if you want to create an interesting class and get a lot of comments, it's easy. What do you do? Just talk about sex. And I'm sure no one f- has fallen asleep in this class, or been distracted. Okay, Shodharamai says, yesterday I pointed out exactly this. What is the real vow that we took in front of Krishna Gurmash? Then there are adjustments, but please keep what is the real standard in mind. Yeah, as long as you know, it's it's um, it's right there in the Bhagavad Gita, and it's it's a beautiful statement. Prabhupada makes. He said sometimes you can't follow something. But as long as you're not adverse to the principle, that means someday you will be able to follow because you're gonna try as best you can. And um, I don't want anyone to, to, to think that I'm saying being celibate is easy. I'm, I'm not saying, even, even for those who it's easy for, it's not easy. It's a physical desire that's very, very strong. But what I can say is the concept of celibacy is beautiful, even to those who have difficulty following it. And they want to follow it because they see the beauty of it. Sexual control, only have sex to have children, bring in an advanced soul, chant 50 rounds, meditate on bringing in a a, a pure devotee who can help the world, that's, that's beautiful. That's so much more beautiful than sense gratification. And after having done that, have the strength to control yourself as far as possible. Those are beautiful thoughts. Doing that is difficult, but it doesn't minimize the beauty of it. And so, sometimes we're caught in both. I can't do this, and I want to do it, because I'm, I'm weak, but that idea is beautiful. And therefore I'll be successful because eventually I'll be drawn into doing what I'm most attracted to. Even though the physical is pulling me away, it's not, if I keep trying, it's not going to pull me away forever. I'll get strength. I can do it. And Krishna will give intelligence. And <clears throat> never forget that Krishna will help you and guide you. So, Marco says, sex is the highest pleasure in the material world. Uh, no, illicit sex. It's a declaration. <laughs> decle- Declaration of War to Maya in her aspect of material energy is so difficult to give up this idea of pleasure until one doesn't get a higher taste. And um, when I was thinking, Marco, when I was thinking about this class, I, w- I had another idea, and I think it's it's an important concept. Wow, what happened? Keyboard turned off. So depressed. How did that happen? I'll turn it back on. All right. It probably goes off on its own. I'm feeling... You know, the this is a Yamaha, and you know the logo for the Yamaha? It's, it's T-lock. Did you know that? It's like... It's like T-lock, a triangle of T-lock. One this way, one this way, one this way. Isn't that interesting? So, sometimes Krishna consciousness is difficult, and I just wanted to share that when... It's like... You want to be a tightrope walker, right? That's kind of dangerous there's no net to catch you. So you really have to work on it. You have to practice, and before you're going to risk your life, you you got to be you got to be good at what you're doing. So Krishna consciousness is like that. You know, you can't just take it up casually and think, "Okay, I'm I'm going to succeed." You actually have to work on it, and a lot of times devotees say, "Oh, it's so hard," but I don't want to minimize the difficulty, but it's likely that they're not executing it well enough that they could be successful. So if you're, it's like if you're going to fight in a professional fight, you better be prepared. You know, oh, that fighter was so strong, he knocked me out in three seconds. Well, you weren't ready for it. If you prepared for it, you could have fought him. So it's... Um, If you're going to fight Maya, don't complain when she knocks you out if you're not ready. So a lot of devotees enter the process and say it's so hard, so difficult, etc. But they didn't prepare themselves. So I just wanted to throw that out that don't allow yourself to think like that, but prepare yourself. If you're going to do this and hope to be successful, you have to prepare yourself. And thanks for Marco. Marco's a man. Uh, Men... um, generally have a more difficult time controlling the grosser physical desires and are not so attracted to the emotional intimacy, more attracted to the physical uh, by constitution. Okay, Kishori says, thanks for talking about this openly and realistically, real life philosophy for real people. (laughs) Okay. That will be the name for today's class. Real life philosophy for real people. I think one of the worst things is that since we joined the movement, we think that we should be pure devotees from the first day to the next, and we expect the same from others. Um, Very good observation. Can you talk about the result of repressing yourself and your partner and blaming yourself and therefore judging others? I think there is a problem and cause of many broken marriages in ISKON. Um, well, how how it's understood and processed will probably differ with various individuals, but we could speak some general principle. What Kishori Mani is referring to, I I will I will rephrase it a little bit because I know what happens. You enter ISKON with high expectations and thinking, you know, within six weeks I'll, you know, I'll be beyond the three modes of nature. And you look at all the devotees and you think, oh my god, they're all pure devotees. Then you, then after a while you, you realize the reality is that, it's a, that they're not all pure devotees and, and neither am I, and this is a slower process. And then you have to start adjusting, and sometimes it's hard to admit and accept because you had such high expectations. And then you start looking at your faults and you look at a lot of faults you had before you were a devotee and you expected they would be gone and they're not. And so it requires adaptation based on accepting the reality. This is how it is. And I've talked about this many, many times. We talked about this in Mayapur. If we can't accept the reality, we can't move forward to solve whatever problems reality is causing us so all i can say is that wherever you i'm going to make a profound statement here so so you may want to write this down wherever you are at is wherever you are at and i know that was profound and it took me lifetimes to come to that realization but that's the point that shorimani is making that wherever we're at, we're not admitting that we're at there, and then we're not, if you, if you, you know, it's like, I have a disease, but I deny it, so I'm not doing anything to cure it. So how can you do anything to cure your Krishna consciousness if you deny you you're, where you're at and what you need, and therefore what you need? So that's the point. So it's, it's just acknowledging that um, conditioning is deep, maya is strong, uh, I'm not as advanced as I want or I'd like to be. <clears throat> but I can be. I think that's the other side, Kishori. Um, The other side is I can be. It just may take longer or a different path than I originally thought. But um, don't give up. But unless you're firmly, you got your foot firmly fixed when you're climbing the mountain, you can't take the next step. So just make sure it's firm and don't pretend you're farther on than you are because then you'll slip. So I think that's what you were getting to. Krishikarshani says, maybe I better not give initiation to young people before they get married. Since they get married, they won't be able to find out if they can or can't follow. Yeah, It's, it's something I think that ha- we have to, well, you know, we don't have control because each individual guru is making the decision, but it's definitely something that you as a disciple can consider. You know. Um a lot of times when I initiate devotees, I joke, but I'm serious. I'm saying, you really want to do this? And why do I say that? I say, Well, there's there's two obstacles I can see. Number one, taking initiation means giving up independence. That means in theory, you're supposed to do what I tell you to do, even if you don't like it. And of course, I'm not the kind of person that would force you, and neither was Prabhupada. But in theory, that's the principle. The guru says, "I want you to do this." <clears throat> so, in theory, you're obliged. So, like, you want to do that? You want to give up that much independence? And number two, you can actually follow these principles your whole life. You sure? So, I say it with jest, but I'm also serious. It is, um, it is something that we have to consider. Uh, and then Krish Karshani continues: sex and marriage even if it is for pleasure, not procreation, it's not considered to be sinful. Any any sex which is not for procreation is considered sinful. Um, as long as... Well, it's not sinful unless you're using contraception. Because then you're preventing a soul from taking birth. So if you're not presenting, you know, or you want to say lesser of two evils... Um, Sex in marriage is not as bad as sex outside marriage, but sex in marriage is not as good as no sex in marriage. And sex in marriage without contraception is not as bad as sex in marriage with contraception. So say, well, I use contraception, but I only do it with my wife. Okay, congratulations. You're, you're amazing. No, that's not, <laughs> uh, that's not where we want to go. It's like, oh, I can't control myself. I have to have sex. Okay, what else is new? But contraception is sinful because it's preventing a living entity from taking a body that they should have been taken because the, uh, the soul cannot get the body or the soul will not go into the womb to get it. So, yeah. Now that I've made you all feel guilty and want to feel like killing yourself, um, we... We remember the principle that so we have a problem. Well, my computer died. It wasn't plugged in. But the problem now is I don't have your comments. So you're going to have to repost your comments. Otherwise I'm not going to see them. So um I can finish answering Krishna Karshini's question, and I don't know how to access your comments. So, can you repost your comments? And then um, I'll just make a note here. Um, well, make a comment. I want to make a comment. This is. Okay. Um, some comments. Yeah. Okay. Repost your comment. And so, Krishna Karshani, the 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 answer was, um, and I had given it before. The answer was, whatever you do, you should be doing not for enjoyment, but to actually overcome the desire to enjoy. That's the idea. So, yes. Now. Um, yeah, let's see what happens with this internet. It, it wasn't the internet's fault. It was that I uh, hadn't plugged in my computer. Um, uh, mm. Okay, so then we have Kriste. Uh, Your other video was saved automatically. Good. With all the comments. But um, can someone go to that video, copy the comments? And put them here. So I want to answer them because this is a a live a lively discussion. We lost about fifteen of you in the process, but um, I don't I don't want to try to escape from here and look at those questions because we could lose them. So um, there's two ways. One of you. Can go and copy the the questions, or um, maybe more practical, you just rewrite your questions. Then we'll answer them. Um, I think I will wait for you. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we have some questions coming up. Mm. Replying to the question you just answered, good question. I was thinking, what if I didn't have problems with the fourth principle, and it suddenly comes out as a huge problem once. Okay, the questions are. Um, once I get married, yeah. Well, um, a general principle, which which Christian um, is is expressing, is that when you change ashrams, and you change varnas, it can throw you off. And sometimes you don't know how you're going to deal with it. You may think you're going to deal with it well, but you don't know until you actually do it. So now we see that... I see myself freezing. I don't know if you see me freezing. Um, um, Okay, so... uh, We have Kama Lakshiradika... We must enter the self-knowledge of our own attachments, and the truthfulness and confidence in favor of spiritual advancement. After, you know, um, honesty with others and with ourselves is is, is it's, it's necessary. Powerful. I was going to say powerful. That's true, but it's necessary. um uh, uh, Krista uh, Kamalaksha says, It seems easy to follow the four principles out of respect to one's Diksha Guru, but Maya is tricky and you can never know. Yeah. You know, especially when you get initiated, what you're feeling may not be what you feel later. So Kirti is saying in his initiation speech, Maharaj said sex and marriage is not sinful, but it is binding to the material world. But generally when we say Kirti, when we say sex and marriage, we generally are not thinking that devotees are using contraceptive methods. Yeah. Is it okay to do this? Yeah, it may be okay, but from a sinful perspective or a moral perspective, but from a spiritual perspective, it may be harmful. I read that women after the age of 40 start producing more male hormones and therefore we can see some ladies looking for boyfriends who are twice as young as they are because they need their sexual drive to be met. Did you ever encourage, encounter? No. I always encountered the opposite. Did you ever encounter that in the devotee environment? No, I didn't. You mean like a, a 40-year-old devotee woman looking for a 20-year-old boyfriend? I mean, it happens, but generally it's the other way around. So Jairate is saying, Jenny, now Jairate, these are conversations that we really need to have but is such an avoided subject. If we were more understanding and open rather than judgmental, I think it would be easier to work towards solutions rather than suffering and silence. Um... The, the Hare Krishna movement, as all religious movements, tends to be judgmental because we have rules and regulations. And devotees oftentimes, rather than deal with one another as friends or individuals or human beings or persons, deal with one another through rules and regulations. And it's very sad Almost, you could say, sick in a sense. It's something we really have to work to to purify ourselves of because we're all individuals and nobody wants to be evaluated according to rules and regulations. And that's not the way to develop proper relationships. And it'll just discourage people. Not it will, it does, and it has. And it will continue to. What do you think why Prabhupada made sex rule more strict than his guru? Um, in Gaudiya Math there were and still is a rule in marriage, not sex in marriage. Because in Gaudiya Math, Gaudiya Math was a mat. Math was for renunciates. So the Grihastas were kind of like, you guys are useless anyway, so why? <laughs> why worry about you? You're just fallen Grihastas, you know, like whatever, you know. How many rounds should I chant, Guru Maharaj? You just chant some. Don't starve your bees, you know. That was like, that was like for Grihastas, you know. Don't starve the mala, you know. What about the principles? Yeah, you know, just like good luck, you know. It was kind of a, you know, maybe you could say a realistic view, but um, it was a renounced movement. So their focus was was not on Grihastas. It was focused. It was more focused on renunciates. And renunciates can have the potential to achieve high levels of renunciation. And agree, Haastas is like, every man for himself, good luck, uh, I wish you will. And um, I'm not going to worry about it. But also, one thing we can say that's similar about Prabhupada is that he, in giving this injunction, no illicit sex, he never wrote anyone a letter and said, can I have a report? Like, how many days this month were you celibate? Um, and if not how were you not celibate what did you do never went there never did that that was was not part of the process so I think part of the part of the not talking about it and, and just letting sweeping it under the rug may be due to the fact that Prabhupada just thought it was a private thing and as I was saying something that you will deal with privately and it doesn't need to be discussed publicly, and as I said, it is something that needs to be discussed privately. That's for your, you know, for your work privately. So I think that's why Prabhupada didn't get into it. It It's like, here's the principle, you know, here's what to do, here's the rules. Okay, I don't want to think about it anymore. This This is what you have to do. So that's just what I've observed with Prabhupada. And I've spoken to God brothers who said, look, at is a grihasta. He, know, he knows what goes on in grihasta life. But he also knows the power of the Holy Name and how if we're sincere, even... You know, it's like you're sincere but you slip, which is different than slipping and not being sincere. Because if you're sincere and you slip, you get up and you keep working, and eventually you succeed. If you slip and you're not sincere, you may not succeed. And if you slip because you want to slip... And you're you're not trying to be renounced. You're just doing it to enjoy. Then it's it's really going to be difficult to succeed. So my observation with Prabhupada is he saw the sincerity of his disciples, and he also saw the weakness of his disciples. And consequently, he knew if they were sincere, and they chanted without offense, despite their weaknesses and slipping and slipping in the bedroom and whatever. They would be successful, and and that was my point. That if you look at the devotees who've stayed in Iskon, who are past their procreation years, pretty much it's not really an issue anymore. There, it's just nature's process and the process of advancement. And so, Prabhupada knows that. So, if I can, you know, if I if I can keep you on the boat, the boat may knock you off. But at least if you get back on the boat, eventually you'll make it, no matter how many times you get knocked off. Of course. Better you don't get knocked off. But that's my understanding how Prabhupada saw it. You know, he wasn't he wasn't interested in what goes on in devotees' bedrooms. He was interested in devotees hearing Bhagavatam and chanting good rounds and being sincere. And knowing that would give them the strength to purify themselves of their sexual tendencies. But he knew, you know, we're young men and women. It's not going to be easy. But at the same time, he preached very strongly sexual purity. So, you know, if Prabhupada didn't preach sexual purity strongly, how could anybody do it? But just because he preached it strongly doesn't mean he was, you know, knocking everyone on the head and judging them and making them feel guilty. No, but you you need to preach strongly in order to be able to support people to do something that's so difficult or so challenging. Uh... So, okay. Krishangi says, this was my comment I copied. Um, I'm not sure. Now I'm having trouble knowing whose comment is whose. <laughs> Biagra is just an anagram of Bhairagya. They are opposites. Uh, antonym, right? Those materialistic rascals probably knew this and chose that word on purpose. (laughs) It's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. Biagra is a conspiracy. They know they they need Bairagya, but they gave us Biagra. Uh, I don't look freezing. Okay, good. It freezes on my end. So that means this internet is actually functioning well, which is good. What is reaction for sex and marriage for only pleasure? Uh, the reaction is, oh, another body, maybe <laughs> nothing big, just yet another birth. Nothing too drastic. Um, no prema. no pure chanting of the holy name. You know, think just minor things like that. But the point is, you may need to do that so you can get over it. So if you're If you're doing it to get over it, then um, it's got some, mm, at least some validity to it. But just just to do it, just to do it, what's the result of attachment, material consciousness, offense to the holy name? It's like, you don't see, the other problem is when you make a vow to the spiritual master to do something and you don't do it, then it comes up with your chanting, because now you're disobeying the order of the guru. So, um, of course, you might say, "But I obey all other seven thousand eight hundred and sixty four orders. It's just this one sometimes I don't. okay, that's that's totally reasonable and logical. And I'm a conditioned soul, and I have a body, and it's hard. And yeah, so, um, one could answer this question by saying, "What's the consequence? Nothing big because, you, the main thing is you're doing devotional service, so this one little thing is not a big deal. So that's also a possible answer. I don't know that everyone would agree with that answer, but there is validity to that as well. You're, you know, oceans and oceans of light, of, of preaching, of japa, deity worship, seva, sacrifice, year after year after year, and, you know, once in a while. Um, you have this need to satisfy. And you do it. It's not. It's not like I want to say, okay, that's it. Hell for ten lifetimes. Um, it's not. It's not really, really the way. Prabhupada explained it to us. It's just you know. Go on with your service. Be sincere. Do that. Krishna will bless you. And as far as possible, on the other side, control yourself. Uh-huh. Oh, you see me freezing sometimes. Oh, that's not good. They spend all this money to get a better internet and it freezes. I have to call them. I think it's unstable. This internet goes to a cell tower. It doesn't go to a wire. There's no cable coming here. It goes to a cell tower, so if the wind blows the wrong way, then you know we could use it. Um, so this is from Vrindavan Ishvari. Difficult is to marry a person of your level of detachment that can cause disappointment, especially for the devotee who is more advanced, who doesn't want or need to fall down as the other. Yeah. So what what she's saying is that sometimes you enter a relationship and you have a higher or lower level of detachment and it doesn't meet the need of your partner. And this is a real problem. And you, you want to understand as far as possible what level you're on and what level your partner's on. Of course, that can change after you're married. But ideally, the more you are matched on the level of sattvagun or, or rajagun or tamagun, although it sounds funny to say, but I, I'm, I'm sure you've seen sometimes people who are, are very much alike, either sattvic or you know, rajasic, they're in like, business, or tamasic, they just party and drink. But they get along well because it's the same mode. <laughs> so it is a problem. If It's not so much a problem for a woman in passion if the husband's in goodness. It's more of a problem if she's in goodness and the husband's in passion. Because the concept is, if the man's in goodness, by his influence, he helps his wife. At the same time, sometimes, we do see that one partner has needs that another doesn't, and it can be a problem. And so we just have to deal with it as maturely as we can and as compassionately as we can. But if you're not married yet, these are things to check. You know, Get out your uh, guna meter and put the guna meter up to the person's mind and figure out what guna they're in and put it up to yours and and only marry someone whose gunas match. Because if you're very sattvic and they're very passionate, it's difficult you'll want to go to Bhagavatam class and they'll want to well, oh, let's, let's just watch a movie. You know, Life, the realities. Krishna Karshani. Uh, my question was also, why do you think Prabhupada made a sex rule more strict? Okay, yeah. Uh, so the Prabhupada used to make rules easier to follow. Because, you know, Prabhupada was also... He wasn't making... Oh, okay, here's another answer, which I, I didn't give last time. He wasn't making a distinction. Like in Godeyamata, there's this, more of this distinction, you know, you're sannyasi, you're brahmacharya, you're vanaprast, but you're grihasta. All right, you know. We'll give you a prasadam, but, you know, like real serious spiritual life for most grihastas? Nah, it's for the renunciates. So Prabhupada comes to America it's It's already, we're all already disqualified by that standard, we're all outside the Vedic culture, and so Prabhupada comes and goes, okay, it's for everybody um, men, women, children so he, from right from the beginning, wasn't making that distinction and so he's, he's saying okay, Krihastas can become renounced, women can become renounced we'll just give this to all of you that was the idea Whoa, it's cold today okay I have to excuse me I'm gonna put a little wind on hot air my feet have officially frozen we have to dethaw them so yeah that's that you know Prabhupada was like okay it's for everybody we're not we're you know we're not going to distinguish only sannyasis can do this women can't do that uh, young young boys and girls can't do this I was like no it's for everybody so that's it. Prabhupada's going, okay, here are the principles. We're giving it to all of you. Whether you're or sannyas, it doesn't matter. You're all sannyas. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I yeah, understand, Kamalakshi. I, usually you, you put the names. Okay, so we have Krishna Kanta. If men are more sexually wired, why Bhagatam says that women are seven times more lusty? because that lust is um, not necessary gross sexual lust. You know my joke, Krishna Kanta. You, you ask a grihasta man how many dhodis and kurtas do you have? Count them. And then you multiply by seven and you know how many saris and cholis and dupatas and his wife has. Okay, that's pretty funny. But that's what it means. You remember, Krishna Kanta, that story I've, I've told many times about the single man who had a plastic, old plastic table for his dining table, had um, dhoti for his curtain and a, a sofa that he found on the street for a couch. And you know for damn sure that the, the day he gets married, that stuff's on the street in three seconds. And there's going to be a new sofa, beautiful dining table, beautiful curtains. That's what it, that's what it means that they're they have more desire for nice things. Um, men, not that men don't, but men generally can live without it, or without a lot of it. So not seven times physically stronger in his initiation. Yeah, okay. Um, Okay, now we have Krishangis. It's very tel- delicate talking. People who are frustrated about sex, very dangerous, and the roots of these frustrations are deep, and most in childhood. It's important to educate. Conscious sex more than put all the desires in the dust. Yeah, and, and admit them in the first place. Under the bed and hide them. Yeah. Well, you know, why do you hide them? You know, Krishangi, you know well, that um they may not hide them they may just not you know hide them means you know you have them but they may not admit they have them so in a sense you can say they're hiding them but they're hiding them from themselves in the sense they don't even know they have them so we have Madhuri radika the same question is hitting my mind it is said men cannot control sexual desire but bhagavad says women are more lusty yeah it's the it's lust for material things. Because you, you see that, right? Like, um, I have a shirt that I bought a month ago. I decided, I decided, um, I just wanted to get some shirts, like t-shirts. Um, sometimes more practical, more comfortable than wearing corta. Corta's long, you know, goes down to your knee and you sit down and And, you know, it's not like if I wear a T-shirt, I can't be Krishna conscious. So um, I like the color burgundy, which is this color. And so we bought a T-shirt, and I think it cost $6 or $9. But it's quite nice cloth. It looks nice. I like it. Of course, I like simple things. And I could actually wear that T-shirt every day for the rest of my life. Like, no problem. And I I would never have a need to wear another T-shirt. Uh, this sweater here, just like this color. I like this color. I could wear, the, if it's cold enough, I could wear this sweater every day for the rest of my life. And I never would think, you know, maybe I should, I kind of like, should wear something else. Um, you see men wear white doties white quartas. My wife doesn't like me wearing white white cortas. Otherwise, uh, you would only see me in white cortas. I'm dressing to please her. Every day, white dhoti, white corta, right? That's hard for a man. Uh, excuse me, for a woman. But for most men, never thought, oh, I'm, I'm wearing a white dhoti and white corta. That's so boring. They don't think like that. So that that's part of it. You know, that the woman has has a desire to have nicer things. You know, if most men, if they go shopping for dhotis and kurtas, it takes like about 35 seconds. You know, they take on uh, Okay, you yeah. know, what do you think? That one's okay, yeah. Okay, let me try it on. Okay, it's good, you know. It's over with. Women aren't like that. It's not a fault, it's just that's what it means. Hare Krishna. I was When I was a woman in my last life, I would... Spend a lot of time in the sari shops also. And when you were a man in your last life, you would go buy your dhoti and quarta in 30 seconds. So it just comes with the body. So Jenny has a question. So many people I know, mostly non-devotees, believe that sex creates a necessary emotional intimacy. Even though you said these people are looking more for stimulation than anything else, um, is that always detrimental? It is important to have a deep emotion... Um, I can give my opinion, emotional connection. Yeah, emotional connection is important. I, I've heard it said by marriage experts how sex is such an important aspect of marriage for the relationship. And I think it's only true because we've been programmed that way to put so much emphasis on it. But when you actually interview people, I read, God, I don't have the source, but I read an interview and they said, Although we say um, sex is an important aspect of marriage, when they actually ask people, the majority of people said it's not that important because it's not something that consumes the marriage and especially not that important when you're older. So, you know, my answer would be to that is that I think it's it's a conditioned reality and it would depend on the individual, how important it is. But for devotees who are sattvic or brahminical, it's not it's not important at all. It's not, you know, how, how you enjoy it or don't enjoy it is like, you're just trying basically to raise Krishna conscious children, so why would that be an issue? Now, if you have strong sexual needs and so forth, it, it may become more of an issue. But my experience for women, the issue is emotional connection not gross sex for most women, not entirely all of them, but, but that's usually the issue. And you have this crazy problem you have to deal with that women um, really respond to the emotional connection, not so much the gross, the gross sexual connection, but men get stimulated by that emotional physical connection And then it turns into sexual, even against their will. So, um, my suggestion, I have a really good suggestion that could solve this problem. Like, um, probably the best suggestion I could give is go back home, back to Godhead, get a spiritual body, and you don't have to deal with all of this, because this is tough stuff to deal with. That's always been my conclusion, you know, when... When things get really bad and you go, well, if you do this, but that happens. You do that, this happens. You go up, it goes down. You go right, it goes left. And there's, like, no solution. Then what do you do? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. That's what you do. And you get a spiritual body and the whole problem is solved. Um, Marco says, that we could see the body exactly for what it is, a mixture of blood, pus, urine, and excrement. We wouldn't be so attached to it. Uh, We would. Still, probably, in our (laughs) conditioned state. (laughs) Because all the blast, pud, stool, mucus, and bile just happens to look good the way it's packaged. That's the problem. The spiritual motion caused by transcendental eroticism has nothing to do with the sexual concept of material pleasure. Yeah, That's a whole other topic as in children of four or five years sexually, sexuality is present to a certain extent, but it's not comparable with that of an adult in which the thought of the enjoyment and exploitation of another person for one's own pleasure. There is, there is, this is a whole other topic, there is a pure sexuality, Radha in Krishna, but it is of a transcendental nature. And it's a source of our perverted sexuality. Uh, Okay, we're almost finished. If one partner devotee is not able to keep sex in marriage only for procreation, should the other partner engage in sex for pleasure to please the wife or husband, knowing that the partner needs sex from time to time? If I answer that, uh, they'll cut off my Sika. I definitely, (laughs) if I answer that question, the GBC will cut off whatever little Sika I get. I actually have a little one. I'm trying to hold on to it. Um, the answer to this question, I think, is an answer, which is a general answer that we have to give to many questions. And that is, Prabhupada, if you see how Prabhupada taught us, it's like he said, here's the teaching, now go out and figure out how what you're going to do with it, and I'm out of here, basically. Not that Prabhupada was wouldn't help us. But in the sense of, I'm out of here, I'm Here, here is the information, here are the game rules, here's the goal, go play your game, Krishna will give you intelligence. That's how Prabhupada dealt with this. As mature adults, he didn't hold our hands, go, no, you can't go in this room, you can't go in that room. He'd say, here's the information, you, you do it according to your intelligence, do what's best. So that's my answer. And that way I can keep my Sika, but that's the right answer, actually. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so Joe Tirumai says I definitely confirm I don't want to tell how many pairs of shoes I have and not mention the number of saris of course um, you can always give some away before we start counting so anyway but it, it's fun you know the fun, funny thing for me I can just speak from a, a male perspective like, as a male, when I see a woman dressing herself up, uh, as a man, as a male devotee, it's, I, I don't have a point of reference. Because, to me, it's like, well, you're a devotee, and you want to practice renunciation, so you want to keep it simple. So you don't want to spend a lot of time on your body. And I'm not saying this as a criticism or to say as a man that I'm better. I'm saying it as an observation. And so then I look at the devotee, the female devotee, she's dressed very nicely, nice earrings, hair is combed nicely, nice sari, maybe some makeup looks very presentable. And I'm thinking, well, this seems, and I'm, uh, this is not a criticism, I just, I'm going, this is a philosophical thought process. It's not a judgment, believe me. It seems from a philosophical perspective, this is a kind of attachment to the body and an identification with the body but then the woman starts speaking and she speaks the philosophy as clearly and as well and as philosophically and as profoundly and in and as an in depth, depth way as men you, you can read so many things women have written you can read so many realizations I'm just talking about devotees not not even outside of Krishna consciousness, where you have so many brilliant women, but in the movement, and you can hear their insights, their realizations, their understanding of Prabhupada, and it's, it's like clear. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, how did that clarity come out of the body that seems so attached materially? And, and, and then I think, it's just a body, and I probably had that body before, but it's not your consciousness. And so, you know, you could say the same thing about a male, because the male body, it has a very strong sexual urge. And so the woman could say, what's wrong with this man? He's a, he's a good devotee, and he's got, like he wants to marry a girl who's 20 years younger than him? Because that's the male physical embodiment wiring. At the same time, he just gave an amazing class. He, he's got it. So I think we have to, you know, we really have to see on the spiritual platform that... Although we're physically embodied with certain natures and desires as spirit souls, we both, male, women, young, old, sexually agitated or not, the Krishna consciousness comes through. So whether you have, you know, 80 saris or only three dotis, it's not always, that doesn't always reflect on your realization and level of Krishna consciousness. Sometimes it just reflects on your conditioning that, you know, well that's how I was was raised by millionaires. You know, I had three closets worth of clothes. 80 80 saris is nothing. You know, that's like fasting for me. So it could be, and it has no effect on you, and and you're studying Prabhupada's books and chanting Amazing Rounds. It's just that you're embodied in that body and mind that needs that to just feel comfortable, but it's not polluting you. It could be, if it's material attachment, But so we all have different physical bodies and minds, and we can't evaluate and judge a person's spiritual position solely based on what we see as those attachments. right? A lot of us know Chaturatma. Uh, Krishna Karshini knows Chaturatma. He's the most swab, debonair devotee. Krishna Karshini, Chaturatma has a sports car, and there's no dust on it. It just shines. It's just beautiful. It's an old sports car that looks like it was made yesterday. He, that's his nature. It's just, he is immaculate, an immaculate dresser, just clean, organized person with everything. That's his nature. And so someone may look at that and say, what's up? Why is he so concerned? It's his nature. Probably always been and always will be. But it's not affecting his sincerity, his realization, his bhakti. He'll have a million realizations, just like a sannyasi will have. That's the interesting thing about Krishna consciousness. And that shows it's not on the bodily platform. And Prabhupada always said it's not on the bodily platform. It's transcendental. So these things show that women, men, we're different. We think differently. We like different things, different attachments. But on the spiritual platform... You listen to the women speak. You listen to their realization. It's amazing. What they say, what they understand, their insights. Uh, And women are like amazing psychologists, uh, community builders. They have so many talents. So I think that was a good way to end the class, wasn't it? Um, um, And that way, all you women can go out shopping now and buy more saris and earrings and you don't have to worry about it. You can still be Krishna conscious. No, that was a joke. But if you want to buy more, you can, but probably don't need more. But you will buy more even though you don't need them because that's what women do. I mean, after all, without women, where would the economy be, right? Who who would buy all the clothes and jewelry? Not the guys who bought, buy all the shoes, not the guys. That would destroy the economy. What to speak if everyone became a brahmachari? There would be no economy. The only they only, will the only be like three businesses. Stainless steel plates, japa beads, and dhoti's. Right? But bags and shoes. And printing some shastra. That's about it. Uh, and food, yeah, of course. Yeah. Anyway, okay, I better stop now because it's quite late. And um, we went over time, but it was worth it. And please share. And... Uh, Krishna right, to all of you I'm happy that it didn't freeze too much we'll see how it continues i like I were were you know we have this t-shirt company and because I use this camera you will be able to read the t-shirt it won't be backwards because this is actually my right hand this is my left with my phone you get it backwards so if I put the t-shirt on you can't read it see I will prove it look at this you can read this right it says yeah well but as an excuse for not following Prabhupada perfectly. Okay, let's make a video of this right now before I take breakfast so I remember. Hare Krishna. And then we have the title for today's class. Somebody gave us the title. It was Kishori Mani gave us the title. Can you write the title down again? Kishori Mani? <laughs> so, um, Kishori Mani, if you could send the title to Satyarupa, if she's not here. That would be good. Okay, nice to see all of you. Hare Krishna.